0: All right, let's be finding our seats again. Well, we are super excited to launch our summer series this Sunday. Uh, We are going to be basing it from the book of Nehemiah, and our staff has done also a great job at putting together uh, a journal and a study companion for our series called Rebuilding the Walls. Uh, Jillian has worked very hard to turn it into uh, a devotional, that will take you through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. We won't be preaching from Ezra, but that's the prelude to Nehemiah, and so those books actually go together. In the Hebrew Bible, as in the Jewish Hebrew Bible, those two are actually a a companion together. But in the Protestant version, Ezra and Nehemiah are two separate books. But in the study guide, you'll have that. We'll be uh, distributing these out at our Connect booth. They're going to be Uh, just $2. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness. We thank you, God, that you love to be with us. There's nothing like family time for you, and you look forward to Sunday morning. You look forward to when we draw near to you so that you can draw near to us. So now, God, as we come to your word, let it unfold for us. Let it speak to us. Let it be like a deep draw of water that comes from your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read some of the verses here from uh, chapter 1 to help set the scene for us. And I'm putting up a map as a background for us to orientate us a little bit about this whole Book in which we're going to be studying. So, Nehemiah is 13 chapters long. It's basically divided into two parts. Chapters one through seven talk about rebuilding of the walls, which we'll get into. The second half is about restoring the people. And the setting, of course, is in the the Middle East. And we're going to hear about a city very quickly called Susa. Well, what is Susa? Susa actually was the capital of the reigning empire of the world, which was the Medo-Persian Empire. For those of you that have studied world history, um, Babylon was the ruling empire, but they gave way to the Medo-Persian Empire. And so the capital, which uh, used to be in Babylon, was now moved to Susa, and our main character, Nehemiah, is found in Susa. He was born there, his families were exiled there, the name Nehemiah means in the Hebrew, Neha Maiah so Jehovah. So there's a connection there. In the Hebrew, it means the comfort of God. And so let's start here <clears throat> with chapter 1, and this is in first person now. So as I read these words, these are the words of Nehemiah. And just to add the timestamp to this book, this book was written 445 B.C., so approximately 500 years before Christ. So we're looking back now from 2019 all the way back to when this book was written. It's about 2,500 years old, okay? So just to kind of give us the setting. So the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It happened in the month of Shevlev in the 20th year. Well, I was in Susa, the capital. So we know the place. We know the geography now. Hen and I, one of my brethren, and some of the men of Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and it had survived the captivity about Jerusalem. So friends have come from Jerusalem. This is actually about a three-month journey away. Nehemiah is over here. Some some people have come, and he's asking about the state of the city. They said to me, the remnant, verse 3, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. Bad news. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Then the Bible says that Nehemiah went into prayer. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night. This was a man that was exercised. He was praying day and night. On behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I am my father's house of sin. We have acted very corruptly against you. And have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, or the ordinances which you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered to the most remote parts of heaven, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. And then Nehemiah tells us what his profession was. It says, I was a cupbearer to the king. So this is quite an opening scene. Nehemiah is doing his job as the cupbearer in Susa. He has a very influential position. The Bible doesn't tell us how he got there, but maybe it was a little bit like Daniel. There was an excellence of spirit, and he's elevated to be in the courts of the king. And so now he's actually serving the king as a cupbearer. Day in and day out, he gets to see royalty the capital, he's in Susa, the capital of the Medo-Persian Empire. Now as he's going about his duties, as we've read, a report comes from his homeland regarding the state of the people and the state of Jerusalem. And when he hears about this, that the walls were broken down, it saddens him and he weeps for days. When was the last time you were so sad or grief-stricken that you wept for days? This man was gutted by what he heard. He was so grief stricken that he began to mourn and to fast. He was in no mood to eat. It's not often that we're in a place where it's like, you know what, I don't want to eat because we love to eat. So, you know, something very deep and very sad came upon his soul. Well, why was he so gutted and why was he so distraught? He actually was thinking back 140 years past. So this is, this is a man of the Scripture. This is a man that understands what God is doing in history. And even though something occurred 140 years before him, he is as if he is right there. And the Scripture tells us why the walls were broken down. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, in six verses, the Bible tells us what happened there. So a little bit of Bible history. We know that there's two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. They were separated into two kingdoms because Solomon's sin had too many wives, and so God disciplined him and said, I'm going to split up the family. Ten tribes and two tribes. The ten tribes were Israel, the two tribes were Judah. And so you have this parallel lineage going on of kings, the king of Israel and the king of Judah. Turns out both lineages have 20 kings. Israel is so disobedient to God, he sends the Assyrian empire to completely deport them. That's called the lost tribes of Israel. They never returned. They were completely assimilated into Assyrian culture. But God preserved the the nation of Judah, the two tribes that were left. And the scripture tells us here in 2 Chronicles 36, the last king, the 20th king, his name was Zedekiah, and he was a very bad dude. So here's what the Bible says. You can read along with me, 2 Chronicles 36. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. A young guy. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke for the Lord. By the way, the book of Nehemiah is in the middle of the Old Testament, it is the book that represents the last book of Old Testament history. Well, if it's the last book of Old Testament history, why isn't it at the last of the Old Testament? It's because the prophets go from the middle of the Old Testament to the end and those prophetic messages were parallel to the king's reign. And so here now we have the scripture telling us that Jeremiah was prophesying to Zedekiah to tell him to turn back to God. But Zedekiah rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear allegiance to God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart Against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Furthermore, all the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nation, and they defiled the house of the Lord which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. We're talking a wholesale reprobate country. Okay, not only is the political leader far away from God, but the priesthood, the religious leaders are also far away from God, and they're very unfaithful, the Bible says. And they have completely just given themselves to the idols of the culture, the abominations of the nations, and they're defiling the most sacred location in all of Jewish faith. That's the temple. Verse 15, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God. God is so patient, he continually appeals and woos his people back, but they continue to mock him. We're living right now where there's a spirit of mocking, where people are against the church, they're against the gospel, they're against truth, they're against Jesus. It says the people at that time despised God's words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, God brought up against them the king of Chaldea, which is the Babylonians, who slew their young men with swords in the house of the sanctuary, had no compassion on young men and virgins, old or infirmed. He gave them all into his hand. All the articles of the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the kings and his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. Then they, the Babylonians, burned the house of God and broke down the walls of Jerusalem and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles. That's why the walls were broken down. You have a people that completely disregarded the Lord. And so God sent the most humiliating way of disciplining the people they hated the most, the Babylonians, to come and to completely destroy the city. So Nehemiah is looking back, he's thinking about history, and here he is fasting and praying and mourning, and he is gutted because the broken down walls represents the broken relationship that the Jewish people had with God. Because of the rebellion, despite repeated efforts by God to woo them back, they resisted to the point that God had to send them into exile. And I've said this before. Can you imagine an entire nation being deported? Not just a little portion, Not just political refugees that want to get away. No, an entire country comes and deports everyone to another land. It's a crazy turn of events given Israel's privileged history with God. Of all the peoples in the earth, God has chosen them to be his representatives. But after 800 years of being in the promised land, they are now displaced and spit out of God's mouth because of their stiff-necked ways. This is what Nehemiah is mourning over. The broken walls represent a breach with God. And he wanted to see that relationship restored. There are many powerful insights and truth that we're going to cover, but the overarching theme is that the walls of Jerusalem that Nehemiah was going to repair was about restoring the people's relationship to God. And the lessons that the people learned in Nehemiah during his days are as relevant for us today. God is wanting to restore the walls of our lives so we can be restored to him. So I'm going to have Jojo Dublin come up, and as we have shared in our summer series, we have a whole bunch of wonderful people who are going to come and and share their testimony of what God has done in their lives, and uh, I wanted to give each person also extended time to share their story, not just for one or two minutes, but we're going to give uh, Jojo and those others who will be sharing uh, some time to really tell their story so you can understand
1: the details. Hello. Let me read uh, in the books of Acts 5.20. The angel of the Lord said, go stand in the temple of the courts and tell the people about, about new life. Good morning, Five Stone Church. Allow me to share my story about how great and good God is when he took me out from the dark and brought me to the light and fulfilled his promises. My real name is Dennis Dublin, but families and friends call me by my nickname, Jojo. I was born in the in Pasig City, Philippines, number three in seven siblings, five boys and two girls. My dad raised us in a military discipline. Once you make a mistake, there will be consequences and punishment. My mom was a hard worker, worker woman. I took this criminology in college, and it was my ambition to become a cop. In 1998, I became a police officer in our city and assigned in Mobile Patrol Division. I was a rookie when we conducted a police operation and made an arrest. Before getting off from my duty, one of the police officers handed me over an envelope with money on it, and I asked, what is this for? His response was, all operations are not subject to detention. Some of the arrested persons will be sent to jail, but the fortunate will be released and set free in exchange with money. Oh, that was cool, I said, extra money aside from my salary. Two years after, I was promoted in the position of being an investigator or detective in the intelligence divisions of Passive Police Station. I love my job rendering my duty in plain clothes. Our team was uh, very active in bybus drug operation, anti-carnapping, and arresting criminals by virtue of warrant of arrest. We become close to what we call in police parlance as Lord. This is not our Lord Jesus Christ but the drug lords and gambling lords. We collect weekly monthly pay-ups in agreement not to touch their legal activities. The lure of money leads us to greediness and abuse of authority, and we are often called hoodlums in uniforms. By the law, arrested offender with large large amount of drugs is non-bailable, and we saw this opportunity to twist the investigation to mitigate the case. From pusher to user, enables them to bail with a large of money involved. Every drugs confiscated, there's only a small amount we submitted to the court, and the rest will be sent to our drug informer to sell in the streets. I have a cousin, she's well off and very close to me, and in need of a van, a medium-sized motor vehicle, to be used in her business. She contacted me to purchase, and thought because I'm a cop she's getting a discount. But instead, I talked to the manager, telling him to put 10,000 pesos on top of the asking price, plus my commission. My mind was filled with evil thoughts. Not even my friends and relatives were not safe in my legal schemes. But once in a while, I attended Catholic mass to to unload my baggages. And after the mass, I will tell myself, I am free to sin again. In 1997, I got married to my long-term friend, Grace, a resident of Canada. We were neighbors. Her family and my family have known each other since we were kids. She encouraged me to go with her here in Canada, but I refuse. I had a good life in the Philippines, asking her to stay with a promise, giving her a better life. But it never happened. She just visits me once a year. My lifestyle continued for a long period of time until unexpected call occurs. My mom suffered a stroke and rushed to the hospital. For two weeks, our house was so quiet. We missed the way she laughed because she is so loud. While mom's still in the hospital, one afternoon I was drinking I, with my friends. I received a call from my sister to come to the hospital quickly for something wrong with mom's breathing. I was still in the spirit of alcohol when I arrived. I thought she was okay, and decided to go back with my friends, continued drinking. Two or three hours passed, I received another call informing my mom just passed away. Immediately, I rushed to the hospital only to find out that she's already in the morgue. When I saw her lifeless body, I cried like a child, cursing myself. Even in the last of her breath, I chose to be with my drinking buddies. That night, I was really confused, thinking to take her body home. I was almost, it was almost midnight and I can't take my eyes away from her. And these questions just came up to my mind. Where are you going, mom? Heaven or hell? I was so scared. Months passed by, I'm back on my job in drug-related operation. But this time, it was the worst. Our team arrested a big-time drug pusher and brought in, in our office. The same scenario, Bring him bring the money, the suspect will be released. Without our knowledge, the suspect relative is very influential. She contacted the NBI or National Bureau of Investigation. This is the FBI counterpart, and staged an entrapment. Apparently, the suspect relatives will give them marked money, and as soon as the money is in our hands, their signal goes off and they are ready to make an arrest. We were shocked under surprise attack. I heard guns clicking, pointing at us. I saw a well-known TV news station, cameras zooming. There was a loud voice from their leader, asking to produce the money, the marked money, but it was nowhere to be found. I can't believe in my own eye, the NBI failed their operation for seeing that the evidence is gone. Their investigation continues, but no case was filed. Our group was dissolved, and we were demoted in our position. In my relief, I filed on a one-year vacation. In the year 2000, I joined my wife here in Canada. In a matter of a week, I found new friends and invited them to come to our place every Saturday for drinking session, gambling and occasional smoking of marijuana. Most of the time, we stayed until two o'clock in the morning and my wife was so unhappy letting me sleep outside the room. One day, I met a guy was so persistent inviting me for a Bible study, and I continued to decline because of my own faith as Catholic. He will call me to our landline almost every day, and I told my wife, if the phone rings, don't answer it. For this guy, for a month, this guy didn't bother me again. And then one morning, the phone rang and accidentally picked it up. It was him. All I hear is, I gotcha." (laughs) We then, then, uh, we found ourselves attending the Bible study, and we sat at the corner of the house. During their session, I felt so uncomfortable because they're talking about sin. First time I met these people, and yet I thought they were talking about me. This will be my first and last, I said. But in the end, the word "salvation" was mentioned, and I have no idea what it was. Later on, they explained it in our own native language on how to get into heaven. I became interested to the topic because I thought of my mom all the time. I attended the second time, and one of the leaders told me, "If I repent and confess of my sins and receive Jesus Lord as my Lord and Savior, I will be saved." And I asked them, "So that, easy? I can do that. Honestly, I wasn't sure if that is true or not because it's so simple. But I recited the sinner's prayer anyway, and I closed my eyes, added all my sin to Christ, and confessed to receive his gift of salvation. From that day onward, I have this excitement reading the Bible. (coughs) And I saw his words are filled with hope and promises. Then one night, I had this beautiful dream. I was home in the phone kept on ringing as I picked up the phone I heard a tiny voice it was just a whisper and became louder and louder until I recognized the voice it was my mom calling my name <coughs> and this is what the exact word Jojo stop thinking about me I'm in good hands and when I woke up I give thanks to the Lord Lord Jesus for the confirmation And there is only one God that I know that is so good. The greatest miracle in our marriage is Sophie and Denise. The doctor said it is impossible for me to become a father because my sperm count is unproductive. I have only 1% that is alive. But I believe in the God of Abraham and Sarah. This was before Sophie and Denise. I was reading my Bible and I came to a verse that says... Delight in me, and I will delight in you. I will give you the desires of your heart. Psalms 37, verse 4. I saw the light in this word and truthfulness of God's promises. I began to meditate on this verse. Grace and I decided to quit smoking since we were both doing it, and also I surrender my drinking and gambling habit to Christ that cleansed my physical body. God only needs 1% to qualify me to be called Daddy. I still remember when Grace called and informed me that she is indeed pregnant. I fell on my knees, crying, singing, dancing to the song, The Father's Hand. What a joy to believe that there is God who answered prayers. My walk with Christ grew deeper, and even in my workplace, I can stop talking about Christ, how he transformed and changed me. Some of them responded to Jesus' calling and received him, and some of them rejected him and giving me warning not to share my faith in the workplace but I still continue to share the love of Christ through kindness, and that kindness bears a fruit when one of the employees that is going to retire, and also an atheist who don't believe in God, recited the sinner's prayer. It was my desire to return to the Philippines, where most of my families and friends were still in the dark. I pray that our Lord will allow me to go back to the darkness, but not to be consumed by the dark, but to be delighted in it. In 2014, my request was granted. It was January 1st, New Year's Day, when I shared the sacrificial love of Christ to my family. And the next day, to grace, family, and glory to God, 95% 95 responded and willingly received Christ's forgiveness and gift of salvation. I visited house after house in the neighborhood and even in the streets. I gathered them and praised, Be to God in his glory, all, them, all of them accepted the gospel of peace and freedom of Christ. In our conversation, they said they believe everything I said because of the changes in me. Even I returned the money, the 10,000 pesos that I had stolen from my cousin. And she can't believe that I did that foolish thing to her. I was thankful and remorseful, and she forgave me right away and told us to come back the next day for celebration. I also tried to locate the people that I abused with to make peace. I found few, but some I don't remember their names. I set a meeting for my former team in the intelligence division to proclaim God's goodness, and they all received Christ's forgiveness and gifts of salvation as witnessed by Grace, of and Dennis. The most challenging part was when God inspires me to visit the Pasig police station to speak of his love to the officers and men. It was three days before leaving. I talked to the police officer in charge to set a date for me in a private room for me to share the Bible, and he agreed. The next morning, we were inside the building, but to my surprise, the officer in charge informed me that the, the cancellation of the room for it was scheduled for a conference. So he positioned me in front of the desk officer, which is across the gate entrance of the building. In my frustration, I said to him that our God is not cheap to place him in a hallway but I started talking anyway in front of four police officers. After five to ten minutes, civilian employees and policemen start reporting their duties, coming to the entrance gate. So some of them seemed interested in listening. As a result, they're blocking the hallway, and all the people who want to get in into the building can't make a way, but compelled to listen. I saw my wife at the corner praying number of civilians and policemen are counting as I speak. I share to them the gift of salvation, and through Christ is the only way to heaven. At the end, I led them to the sinner's prayer, and I heard this loud and thundering voice as they repented and confessed their sins to Christ. Now I realize that our God is not a private God. He gave his son to die publicly. I believe Jesus was so full of joy in that time as recorded, recorded also in Luke 10, verse 21. One of my favorite verses in New Testament is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And there are two significant events in my life that I am so thankful to God. On the day that I was born, and the day that I was reborn. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you, Jojo, that was terrific. Just so honest and transparent and real. You know, you hear about corrupt policemen. You watch it in the movies. But Jojo was actually one of those dirty cops. Not only did he accept bribes, he was also cooperating with the drug lords. So really, this is an incredible story. He even miraculously escaped a drug sting when the government tried to capture him. He must have been thanking his lucky stars. But while he was relieved to not get caught, we heard that he continued in his ways, drinking, gambling, smoking, all night partying, to the point that He dismissed the seriousness of his mother's dying moments so he could go back to drinking. He was holding a bottle in his hand instead of being at his mother's side when she died. If that doesn't hang some guilt on a man, I don't know what will. But we are what we are. We're clueless, darkened, steeped in sin, and in need of salvation. Only the grace of God and the power of God can reach us. In this case, the grace of God worked through a super annoying man who kept calling him day after day after day. And I love it when Jojo said he finally picked up the phone and the guy said, I gotcha. (laughs) That's what God does when we're running away from him as fast as we can. He still runs faster and catches us. And thank God that Jojo went to that Bible study, heard the good news, and surrendered his life to Jesus. His sins were washed away. His broken down walls were repaired. He was restored to Jesus. One of the great gifts that God gave to Jojo was his two daughters, Sophie and Denise, even though he was battling male infertility. Jojo, you probably don't know this, but in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 9, God says that when we are restored to him, he will bless us in many ways. And one of them is, and I quote the Bible, he will prosper you abundantly in the offspring of your body. God gave you a generational blessing. But here's what I want to bring out from Jojo's testimony, and then we're going to close. What if we don't want our wall to be repaired? What if I don't want to get close to God? What if I want to live my own life and all this stuff about giving my life to Jesus is the last thing I want to do. In fact, this is exactly where Jojo was. He wasn't seeking for God. He got busted. He got demoted. He was so stressed out he took a one-year vacation, but it didn't do anything to him. He continued to drink and gamble and smoke. He wasn't seeking for God, but you know what? It doesn't matter because the Bible says that even though we are faithless, he is still faithful. That's what we sang in that last song. He is faithful. He is faithful. is just continually loyal to us. That's called unconditional love. That's called the kindness of God. You can be railing against God, hostile to God, running away from Him, foul-mouthed the whole nine yards, indifferent, passive, lukewarm, cynical. Big deal. God is still faithful. The work of God is this. He will help you to see your true condition. You may think that you've got it good, you've got it going, but you don't really know your true condition. You don't think that your walls are broken down. You think that everything is just fine. Go ahead and kick my wall, see how strong it is. And here's where Nehemiah comes back into the story. After his three month journey from Susa and he comes back to Jerusalem, the first thing he did was to circle the foundations of the city. We're reading now in chapter two. I wanna give us this little picture. This was the setup of Jerusalem and the literal configuration of the walls. In this wall, there are 10 gates. They represented the entrance point into the city. If you were to go to Jerusalem right now, the wall actually has been extended this way. But this is the original configuration of the walls. So we pick up the story here in chapter two. Again, Nehemiah is speaking. I came to Jerusalem and, there were th- and I was there three days and I arose in the night and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. Dark of the night, can't see, it's just him and his horse. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate inspecting the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So Nehemiah is saying here, in the middle of the night I came out and I started inspecting the wall. Went from the valley gate down to the dung gate. I got to the fountain gate and there was so much rubble here I couldn't even pass through. So instead of being able to go all the way around, he doubles back and he goes back into the valley gate. So he goes back and he talks to the leaders of the city and he reports to them, verse 17, you see the bad situation that we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. Then they said, let us arise and build. Do you see what happened here? The people needed someone to point out their condition. You guys are in bad shape. Have you visited the valley gate? Have you visited the dung gate? Some version says refuse gate. Have you visited the fountain gate? They've been ravaged by fire. The gates are destroyed. The rubble's on the ground. Don't you see what's going on here? Do you see how low your life is, which is pictured by the valley gate? You may have money and cars and vacations and girls and all the joints you want to smoke, all the beers you want to drink, but do you have peace? Do you have joy? Do you have purpose? If Jojo was content with all those things, why would he need Jesus? Because he's got it all. But it turns out he didn't have it all. Former, the, the CEO of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, headquartered in Seattle, three hours from us, literally gave up $38 billion of his fortune for a fling. He is the wealthiest man in the world, worth $100 billion, unfathomable. Some investigative reporters found out that he was having an affair on the side, busted him, goes public, his wife divorces him. The settlement is $38 billion goes to his wife. That's crazy. You've got it all, or do you really have it all? Do you see all the piles of brown outside the dung gate? Have you ever inspected how high and how many mounds you have out there. It's crazy how much stuff is there. And the fountain gate, there is so much rubble outside the gate, Nehemiah had to get off his mount. It's in ruins. Is your life really flowing with joy and life? So it took Nehemiah to point out their true condition, for them to realize, you know, you got a point. This is bad. We need to get on it. If they had seen it before, they would not have needed Nehemiah. If they understood and were gutted like Nehemiah and had the same emotional response, they would not have needed Nehemiah. But God had to send them a prophet leader. You know, it's amazing that here Nehemiah is this cupbearer in the courts of the king. I mean, I don't think that takes that much skill. But this man was extremely gifted. He had so many leadership gifts. And God positioned him in the courts, in the king of the court, so that he would get permission from the king to go back to Jerusalem, even with supplies. And so God sends outside eyes to help them see their true condition. Not only do we need to see ourselves for what we really are, but then we start to see how gracious God is. That he actually comes to redeem, to restore when he could have sworn us off. In our membership class regarding the gospel, we quote this from Tim Keller. We are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, yet more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. This is a moment of double realization. When we see how truly sinful we are, and yet right next to that, how truly gracious God is. That's the moment that we say, yeah, I get it now, I see We need to do this. We need to rebuild the wall. But that moment only comes when we go to the valley gate, when we go to the dung gate, and when we go to the fountain gate. We have to humble ourselves in the valley gate. We think we're on the top of the world, but actually we're in the valley. We need to go to the dung gate and to see the piles of dung that is in our life. Just because we spray it over with cologne and deodorant doesn't mean that it's not there. It's still there. And when we go to the fountain gate, we realize how far we are from really experiencing the fountain life. Came for Jojo, sitting there in a Bible study. Holy Spirit speaks to his heart. All the stuff that he did as a corrupt policeman, as an unfaithful son, as a parting man, the lights turn on. That's really me. But what am I going to do? God doesn't leave us without hope. He doesn't expose us and fillet us and just let us be there. Rather, he offers us hope. The good news comes to us. We realize we can be cleansed. And that's our moment of transformation and change. Just like Jojo said, I closed my eyes to repent of all my sins to Christ and confessed it to receive his gift of salvation. From that day onward, I have this excitement reading the Bible and seeing his word that it's filled with hope and promise. That's what this book is about. Going from hopelessness to hope, from despair to restoration, from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom, from the walls of our life being in rubble to the walls being restored. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the life of Nehemiah. We thank you, Father God, for how you used him to reveal to the Israelites how they needed to turn it around. And Father, that that whole thing, even though it happened so many years back, it speaks to us right now that we may think that our wall is perfectly good, that we don't need any adjustments. We're just riding high. But Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see. Take us to the valley gate. Take us to the dung gate and take us to the fountain gate. And Lord, we, we see and we know that as we come to that place of understanding and revelation and realization that you will give to us the grace to be changed. It's not on us to change. You send your spirit into our very hearts to become the power to be the new creation that you have deemed us to be. If you're here this morning and you know that God has been knocking on your heart, you know that God's been knocking on the door of your heart, You know he's been ringing you up on the phone. And you want to give your life to him and say, yeah, I want to be free. I want you to come after the service and come talk to me so that we can pray together. So we give you thanks and glory. We thank you, Father God, for Jojo's testimony and the honesty. But we thank you most of all, God, for your word and for what Nehemiah did. Let the walls be rebuilt in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Listening to Jojo talk. I was really just struck at the simplicity of, of, of what he, he did and how much he accomplished, you know. He, he said it so simply, but yet Jojo did two of the things that I think we all find the hardest to do in our lives. And the first one is to admit when we've hurt people and to repent for those things. And the second one is to share our faith. And every time he did it, he saw people saved, and I think that's just such a, a powerful message of how simple it is. It's almost unbelievable how simple it is, and yet, um, and yet we get to be part of that. Um, and so I was really just thinking, and you know, I just feel like the list for for people praying at the street fest should just be overflowing with people because we should just be so inspired that. We don't have to be eloquent prayers, you know, we don't have to have fancy words, we, we don't even have to have an amazing testimony the way that, that Jojo does being, being reformed from his ways. Our testimonies are so powerful because they're ours and they're personal and no one can argue against your testimony, no one can argue against what God has done in your life because you were there and you know what happened. You know the depths of your soul. God knew the depths of your soul. And he has taken steps to rectify that. So, Lord, today we just, we just thank you for, for such a, a powerful word um, of just how simple faith, just admitting our sins and then going out to ask forgiveness from those that we've hurt and then also sharing how your love and your, your grace has changed us. It's changed our habits. It's changed our mindsets. It's changed our heart, Lord. And uh, we just thank you that it, you make it so simple for us. And you make it so simple for, for everyone, Lord. So just pray that in each of us, you would just touch us and allow us to, to have an opening where we can just start to share a little bit where we can start to ask for some forgiveness for some things that we have done, Lord. Just start to open those little doors, Lord, and and let us have the faith that as we take a small step forward, Lord, you are there with us. We are not doing this alone. In fact, at the end of the day, we don't really do anything other than share how you have changed us, and we allow you to step into their life and change them, Lord. So, Lord, just as we take these little steps, Lord, just, just come with us and and move in your grace and mercy and, and, and allow doors to open and people to just experience the love, the consistency, the, the everlastingness of, of who you are, Lord. So Lord, we pray all this in your name and uh, just pray that you would bless us this week as we go around our business.